the teams you care about. Well, the Patriots have some soul searching to do, and they've got a long off season now to figure out the answers. The stories that matter to you. Well, UVM certainly put Stony Brook and the rest of the conference on notice with that performance. And now this is the team we wanted to see out of the Catamounts. This is your home for New England sports. All right, football's over. Let's get the lockout over too. Let's get to baseball. I need the Red Sox back. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show. Welcome in on a Monday right here on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full 90 minutes today, right up until 7 o'clock. And then after me, it's Jazz with George Thomas, but tons to get to today. We've got a lot on the on our plate here. What, they're, what the Patriots and their fans, including us, should be feeling after watching football this weekend. We'll get into that. UVM men's basketball beats Hartford by 10, and now we're still unbeaten inside the America East. Former Catamount broadcaster uh, Jake Marsh is going to be with us. He's a current Barstool sports personality. He's going to be with us uh, as well at, at about 6.10. He was back in Catamount country on Saturday night on the call. Uh, we're getting messages. <laughs> Getting messages on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802 585 3026 about uh, other programs on DEV. Hey, I don't know nothing. I just work here. So there you go. There's how I answer that. Uh, I do have a nice text from the weekend, though, I want to get to, but that text kind of sidetracked me here as I was going. Jake Marsh, yeah, going to be with us. Barstool Sports personality, former Catamount Hoops broadcaster. He was back on Saturday night, so he'll be with us at about 610. It was crazy. This this weekend, I don't know how many of you heard, if any, but I was up very early on Saturday. I was doing the morning shift, the Saturday morning news service. I got in at 4, worked till 9. My God, that will tire you out. No joke. I got home at 9.45 on Saturday morning. I went to bed at about 10.30 again when I got home. I slept until 2.15. I could have slept until 5 if I had wanted to. I could have woken up at 4.30 right in time for the kickoff of Bengals and Titans. My good, You morning people are a different breed. I mean, that was like up at 3.05, in here at 4, work till 9. Not even a full eight-hour shift. I mean, those of you that work you know, on farms and do actual physical labor in the morning, more power to you because I was knocked out for the entire weekend from just that five-hour morning shift. It was fun. I mean, I was in here spinning tunes at 5.30 in the morning, and we're talking sports, me and Greg Titus. Like, we had a blast. It was fun, but I was down for the count for the entirety of the weekend. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Everybody, lots to say today. Brady, unfiltered today. Five, four, three, two. One. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I'll get this disclaimer out there first, right? This weekend was a great weekend of football. They weren't all great games. But they all had great endings. And yesterday, those were two great games, especially the second half of Rams-Bucks. So the games this weekend were awesome. So that's in one box. That's in one corner. You know what's in the other corner? This weekend brought out, like, 
all of the worst type of fans in sports. And I have said this from day one, and if you've been listening to me for a while, you know this. I am unabashedly the fan police. I do not, and I don't even feel bad about it. I, If there's one thing that I know that I'm judgmental on, it's how other people are fans. And I apologize if it offends some of you, but I don't even care. I very much judge how other people are fans, and I roll my eyes at a lot of other fans. This weekend, while the football was great, the fans that came out of the woodwork were just as dreadful as far as I'm concerned, okay? Because I've always said this, gambling guy and fantasy guy, those are the two worst kind of fans there are. They're in a class all their own. If I'm sitting at the bar watching the Patriots game, the last thing I need is you coming up next to me, putting your head you know, in my beer glass saying, uh... Hey, the Patriots just scored. That's great. But uh, was it Bourne or was it Aguilar? I really needed a four spot there from Bourne. Nobody cares. So fantasy guy's awful. Gambling guy's awful. Hey, the Pats scored. I'm glad you're happy. Oh, but they missed the extra point. I needed them to, to go up six, and so they're only up five. Don't care. Okay, so fantasy guy and gambling guy, they're in a class all their own. The rest of this weekend, we bought, brought all the other bad types of fans out of the woodwork. Yesterday, this was the most popular one. Yesterday brought us the league is fixed guy. Do you know this guy I'm talking about? He was all over social media yesterday. It's all I read. As Tom Brady's coming back, and it's 27-3 Rams, and the Bucks are coming back, all I read on social media the league is fixed for Tom Brady. Oh, I guess Goodell had to put in a call. He wants Brady to get another Super Bowl. If Brady's really going to retire, he's got to get him another Super Bowl. So he goes out on top. Oh, here's the Rams choking. It, it must be time for, that, for, for Tom to call in a favor with the league office. The league is fixed guy is one, just one millistep below gambling guy and fantasy guy. Are we really doing this, people? I roll my eyes at anybody who is league is fixed guy. And I'll say, I'll, I'll give you this, league is fixed guy. Individual sports, tennis and golf, I believe they can be thrown. Individual players, individual refs, I believe can alter outcomes. We've seen point shaving before. So I'm not saying that all sports is pure. But this idea that the league office is sitting on Park Avenue dictating and pulling puppet strings as to who's going to win and who's going to lose. I am not buying it. I refuse to buy it. The league cares about ratings. Okay, If the league was going to fix things, they would want the matchups that would give them the absolute best ratings possible. The best rating possible of any Super Bowl matchup this year would have been Bucks patriots Brady-Belichick, part two. First time in the playoffs. The GOAT against the GOAT. That would be the matchup if you gave truth serum to the league that they would want. But the Patriots got blown out in round one of the playoffs. They got their doors handed in. So I don't believe that the league is fixing things. If the league had their way, it'd be Brady Belichick in the Super Bowl. If they couldn't get Brady Belichick, you know who they'd rather have in the Super Bowl more so than Tom Brady? The Dallas Cowboys, America's team, the biggest fan base, 
The league would love to have Dallas in the Super Bowl. Dallas lost in the first round. Don't give me this that the league is fixed. Because if the league was fixing things, they'd get what they wanted. They'd get Brady Belichick. They didn't. They'd get Dallas in the Super Bowl. They didn't. They'd get the Giants and Jets, one of them, for their biggest TV market being relevant, and they are both completely irrelevant. So if the league was pulling strings and Roger Goodell's making phone calls, the league would do something that's hugely advantageous for them. And none of the things that would be hugely advantageous for them are happening. Steelers aren't in it, one of the biggest fan bases. Eagles aren't in it, one of the biggest fan bases. They're all out. So I don't believe that the league is fixed for Tom Brady. I just don't. I don't believe that the league is fixed for anybody. I mean, I see this in every sport. If the league was fixed, wouldn't the Yankees have been to a World Series since 2009? It has been 12 years since the Yankees got to a World Series, and we get the Kansas City Royals winning it. What about baseball is fixed? The Tampa Bay Rays have been to the World Series more recently than the Yankees. The Yankees have been beaten by the Rays for the right to get to the World Series. These leagues, are they do not have an agenda. So if you're on social media and you see Tom Brady coming back, don't instantly assume the league is pulling strings. I, I told you. I judge fans. I judge people who say stupid things, and that to me is a stupid thing to say. Tennis and golf, they can be thrown. Individual refs, individual players, they can point shape. All of those things, entirely possible. The league manipulating how games go, I'm not buying that. I never have. So then, so we get the fix guy. That guy came out yesterday. And then we get another new category a fan that comes out yesterday. This fan, who's also equally irritating on social media, is the they need to change the overtime rules guy. Football fans from all corners of fandom came out yesterday and said how miffed they are that the Buffalo Bills didn't get to touch the ball in overtime and instead Patrick Mahomes just got to walk off the game without Josh Allen touching it. The Excuse me, the Bills deserved the ball this is what you're telling me? The Bills were owed a chance to get the ball to respond? Why? The Bills had the chance to win. They had multiple chances to win. They had the game won. They choked. Deal with it. The Bills choked. They, I, one of my best friends, who I love to death, said, imagine losing a game like that because of a coin toss. The coin toss did not lose the Buffalo Bills the game. The coin toss was an unfortunate byproduct of you screwing yourself for the previous two minutes of gameplay. That, that, that's what the coin toss was, an unfortunate byproduct. The Bills took the lead at the two-minute drill, or a little bit before, or a little bit after the two-minute uh, warning, rather, and choked. Came back and took the lead with, thir lead with 13 seconds left and then allowed Patrick Mahomes to go 40 yards down the field to kick the game-tying field goal. And you, you blew the game. The overtime rules didn't lose you the game. The uh, way overtime is constructed didn't lose you the game. The ref didn't lose you the game. And the coin toss didn't lose you the game. 
you lost yourself the game, and really smart people know this, like Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. The Buffalo Bills' horrendous defense down the stretch determined that game. And the Buffalo Bills' inability to understand late in the game clock management with 13 seconds left, the many things you could have done cost them the game. I mean, look, and Schrager's 100% right. Patrick Mahomes threw for 177 yards after the two-minute warning of the fourth quarter. Excuse me? The Buffalo Bills had the number one defense, and they allowed Patrick Mahomes to throw for 180 yards with two minutes left in the game and on. That's on you, bro. That's not on the rules. We play these rules every week. We just changed these rules a few years ago to make it more fair. What is the next step that you want? They both get a turn, and then we play sudden death? Well, then we'd be arguing about player safety again. You want to do the college rule where it's so gimmicky that everybody starts at the 25? What do you want? The Bills had a chance to win the game. They deserved to win the game for a long time. They choked. Coin toss didn't lose you the game. Inability to cover Tyreek Hill, to tackle Tyreek Hill, to cover Travis Kelsey, that lost you the game. With 13 seconds left, you score a touchdown, and the Bills special teams unit kicks the kickoff back in the end zone and allows the Chiefs to, A, take no time off the clock, and B, get the ball to 25. Think of what the Bills should have done. Kick a squib kick. Kick a short kick. Make them return the ball, waste five or six seconds, and then they only have one play, not two. That would have been better. Kick it short force them to call a fair catch and return it from their own 10 instead of getting back to the 25. That would have been better. Your defense blew it. Your special teams blew it. Your coaching blew it. That's what lost you the game. Josh Allen was incredible. He didn't deserve to lose. Gabriel Davis, eight catches for 201, four touchdowns. He didn't deserve to lose. But the coin toss had nothing to do with their loss. Your defense had everything to do with your loss. The rules do not need to be changed. And then this one is a smaller pet peeve of mine, but the other annoying fan that came out of the woodwork yesterday was the guy all over social media that wanted to keep giving Tom Brady credit for the comeback. All I read on social media was, wow, don't ever count Brady out. <laughs> Brady's willing him back into this one. Tom Brady, the Rams fumbled four times and missed a field goal, and Tom Brady was a part of none of that. Tom Brady is great. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He is the greatest champion of all time. I, I, I enjoy Tom Brady just like everybody else does, but let's not give the man credit for things he did not do. He was able to capitalize on all the extra chances. He was able to do some nice things moving down the field. He had a part in the comeback. But the idea that he willed that team to get back to 27-27 from 27-3, I'm not buying it. Cam Akers fumbled. Matt Stafford had a snap go over his head or to the side of his face, and they lost it that way. They fumbled four times. Tom Brady didn't tackle and force any of them. Matt Gay misses a 47-yard field, field goal. Tom Brady didn't do it. He didn't cause that. So... Look, I promise you, I'm actually in a very good mood today. It's Monday. We have a full show. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. I got a great guest. The text line's bumping already. I'm in a very good mood, but I had to get my fan rant out of the way.
And I even apologize to you guys. Because I don't like having to be the fan police. I can't help that I am this way. But I am. So my advice to you is don't be gambling guy. Unless you are winning enough money that I'm going to benefit from it. Or losing so much money that I am going to be hurt by it. Like you can't pay rent. Then I don't need to hear about your gambling. Same thing with fantasy. Unless you're winning enough money that somehow it benefits me, I'm not interested in the fact that Tyreek Hill just got you 6.5 and you needed 6.3 and now you've won. I don't care. So don't be fantasy guy. Don't be gambling guy. And then don't be the fixes in guy. And don't be immediately we lost so therefore the rules have to change guy. Don't be that guy. Please. Don't be any of those guys. Just be like me. A diehard fan who loves your team, who recognizes when they do wrong, who tips your hat to the other team when they've earned it, and who calls out your team appropriately when they've deserved it. If we could just do that, we'd all be a lot happier, I think. Uh, Steve up in Faston agreed 100% on all of those fans. I had one next to me at the last game I went to. I finally ignored him long enough that he stopped talking to me. Steve goes to Patriots games in person, so I feel bad for you that you had one of these guys... uh, you know, one of these guys with you. So, um, yeah, feel bad for you there, Steve. I When I was at the Patriots game, I only had nice fans next to me. None of these fan guys. So, it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM. Do have one more text, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line, this one's from Tom in Irisburg. Did you see the stat that came out How big about how big a deal it is to actually win the coin toss? You can't say it didn't matter. You know what? It, I, I did see that. I think Ian Rappaport had it for the NFL Network. That, uh, like, with overtime in this format, the team that's won the coin toss has won, I think, 10 of 11 games that have gone to overtime with this format. The team that's won the coin toss has won. I don't care. In, in a bigger sample size in the regular season, like, there, there's over 100 games that have been played like this in overtime. Only 53% of the, home, of the, uh, the coin toss winning teams have won the game. So... When you have a bigger sample size, it much more normalizes out. But either, anyways, no matter what, the Bills should have won that game in regulation. They had chances twice. They had 13 seconds left, and they're the number one defense, and they let Patrick Mahomes go 40 yards. That's on you. That's not on the rules. So, all right, when we come back, we usually do our big interview at 545. When we come back, I'll tell you how Patriots fans should be feeling after watching last night's game. The answer, nervous. I'll tell you why. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Usually our big interview comes up at 545. Today we're moving it to 610 to kind of give ourselves a little more time. Jake Marsh is going to join us. He's the former UVM men's basketball radio broadcaster. He's now over at Barstool Sports, and he's a very prominent and popular personality over there. He was back in town on Saturday night calling the UVM-Hartford game on ESPN3, and uh, I listened to it. Jake sounded great. I used to work pretty closely with Jake, so he's going to be with us at about 6.10. My biggest takeaway from last night's Chiefs-Bills game is this. If you are a Patriots fan and you watched that game closely, you should be very, very worried. That is the only takeaway I think you should have if you are a Patriots fan 
is that you should be worried. Did you see, did you pay attention to the amount of speed on that field last night? The Patriots don't have that. They don't they aren't even close to having that. And after watching that game, I feel like the separation between the Patriots and the top teams in the AFC is far greater than I thought just a few days ago. I'm trying not to be prisoner of the moment, but after watching that game last night, I feel like the Patriots are a lot further away from the top of the conference than I thought they were. The Patriots don't have half of the speed that was on that field. That play that Tyreek Hill made to score a touchdown with maybe like a minute 15 left, the Patriots don't have that. The Patriots don't have a wide receiver that can catch, juke, and make everybody miss and go down the field. They don't have that. They don't, have a def- uh, they don't have a defender that can come close to stopping that. And it wasn't just Tyreek Hill, who is a freak. The Patriots don't have a Mecole Hardman. They don't have a Jarek McKinnon. They don't have... They don't have... Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes were electric themselves athletically. They're, I mean, Mahomes ran for 69 yards. Allen ran for 68. They scrambled. They ran on design runs. They bide time. They they bided time. Allen, another just unbelievable two-point conversion play where it was unbelievable. The Patriots don't have that level of athleticism. They don't have that level of speed. The Patriots are a well-coached team. The Patriots have technique. The Patriots have systems. The Patriots have power in the run game and on the offensive line. Those are all great qualities to have but they don't have speed they don't have overall athleticism and last night's game fully encapsulated that texter on the napa morrisville napa waterbury text line said tom brady didn't have that stuff either the game has changed the game has changed now tom brady a couple years ago with the patriots defense that they had he was able to beat the rams the rams with McVay when he first got there, they kind of restarted this, right? They kind of restarted this. Mahomes was in his first year as a starter that year. Brady beat him to get to the AFC title game. So Mahomes was young. Burrow wasn't here. Herbert wasn't here. Lamar Jackson was a young pup. The guys who are playing this style of offense, they either weren't in the league or they were babies. The Patriots, so yes, Tom with that defense was able to beat McVay when McVay was at the very beginning of everything. And really, there weren't a whole lot of other teams doing it. Now everybody in the AFC is doing it, and the Patriots can't keep up. Again, they have technique, they have power, they don't have overall athleticism. I mean, the Bills had the number one defense, and they couldn't keep up with Kansas City for most of the game. If the number one defense can't keep up with Kansas City, what are the Patriots going to look like? They're going to look exactly like they did against Buffalo in the playoffs. They don't, they'll don't. they look like they don't belong in the same field. So I watched that game last night, and my first thought is, wow, these teams, they're light years ahead of the Patriots now. The, the game has changed. You can win playing bully ball. 100% you can't. I've said that. The Patriots can win games. They can win a lot of games. But they are still way behind what Buffalo and the Chiefs can do. They can't stop. They, they can't stop the speed that was on the field last night. They can't come back with two minutes to play and 80 yards to go and 
just get a guy who gets the ball in space and just makes everybody miss. I watched Jamar Chase on Saturday for the Bengals take a four-yard catch with two guys around him, and I watched him take it like 45 yards. Patriots don't have that. I mean, they don't have Debo Samuel who can run for 40 and and catch for 40. They don't have that. And that's what worries me. The AFC is all of a sudden really fast and really deep. Justin Herbert's not going anywhere. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're not going anywhere. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, they're not going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, they're not going anywhere. They're just not. The Patriots, they can win games, yes. They can even maybe even have one great special season and get some luck and go to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying it's impossible, but these teams are so far ahead of the Patriots now. And that was my takeaway from yesterday. The Patriots are slow. The Patriots are not athletic. And they don't have the horses to compete on offense. And they don't have the horses to compete on defense. You need much more than being a track team. Of course you do. You can't get by in the NFL with just being fast and athletic. But it's got to be part of the equation. And the Patriots don't have that. The Patriots don't have that. And... I don't know if the Patriots can get all the things they need to get there in one offseason. It feels like a multi-year process to get them to that point. The Patriots are projected to have like $4 million in cap space next year. Where are they going to get everything they need? Free agency trades in the draft. Can they get everything done? Look, they need DBs and safeties to be able to cover and keep up with those guys they need a scat back who can really be dynamic run after the catch in their screen game they need a home run hitting wide receiver they need to get faster at linebacker so they can cover the whole field they need another edge rusher edge rusher who can disrupt a guy like josh allen or get in the face of a patrick mahomes can you do all that in the draft and with four million dollars it doesn't feel likely it doesn't feel likely I watched that game Saturday night or on Sunday night rather, and I walked away worried. I'm like, the Patriots have a lot of holes to fill, and with this money, I don't feel like they can fill them. And that is a sobering thought heading into the offseason. The Patriots have a lot. They had work to do anyways. They have a lot of work to do now. Next year, with a tougher schedule, even with, I think the team, I told you on Friday, I think the Patriots on paper will be better next year than this year. It does not mean they will go as far. It does not mean they will have a better record. Patriots have a hard schedule. Patriots have a lot of tough road games. And the distance between them and the top teams in the AFC is greater than I thought. And that is the only takeaway I had from yesterday. Other than it was a great football game, my biggest takeaway was the Pats have a lot of work to do. Unnamed texture. I wanted to get this in. This came in on Friday. So, um, Brady, I'm really glad you shared the information about Bob Sosi and Phil Perry. Phil especially is candid, engaging, and I'm more grateful to know he wasn't charging you, so add generous to his list of positive traits. Yeah, I, I made the point to say that on Friday. As our weekly football interviews came to an end last week, I wanted people to know. And I don't know, you know, those guys are humble. They, they they don't care. You know, they don't need it out there, but I need it out there for them. Phil Perry, Bob Sosi, they came on 
every week of the NFL season, and they did, and they did so for free. They enjoyed coming on. They enjoyed speaking to our listeners. They enjoyed sharing their work, too, um, and we enjoyed having them. So not everybody is like that. I have been a part of plenty of insiders that you know needed $100 a week, $200 a week, $300 a week to come on. Those guys didn't need anything, and I appreciate that as well. Joe in Burlington, Patriots season's over. Let's talk Bruins. It's still football season, Joe. We got a lot of stuff with the Bees, too, so we'll get to it as we go. Tom Karen, Red Sox Bruins insider at Nesson, is with us every Wednesday. He talks a lot of Bruins. So we come back, CBS National News Update, and UVM men's basketball wins. Hopefully that's enough for Joe to stick around for. That's next on DEV. Patrick Mahomes found Travis Kielsey in the corner of the end zone early in overtime to give the Chiefs a 42-36 triumph over the Bills, as heard in the nail-biter on CBS. To the end zone for the win! He caught it! One of the great games you'll ever see. Matt Piper, CBS News. You know, I'm going to play the intro here in a second, but that right there, that makes me laugh. That right there is the definition of, of news guy trying to do sports. Matt Piper, you are excellent at news. Travis Kielsey caught the game-winning touchdown. Hey, who am I to make fun? I do the news every day on this station. I'm sure I've butchered a name or two from time to time. So we're all not perfect. We know sports guy does news, screws it up. News guy does sports, screws it up. You got to be a do-everything guy these days. So, uh, Matt, having a little fun with you. But, yeah, Travis Kelsey. If the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, hopefully he will have learned how to uh, – pronounce it by then make your opinion heard by texting onto the brady farkas show at 802-585-3026 now it's back to the brady farkas show on wdev am fm and wdev radio.com welcome back in brady farkas show here on wdev on this monday also streaming at wdev radio Jake Marsh is going to stop by with us here in a couple of minutes. He's the former voice of the UVM men's basketball team and now works at Barstool Sports as a popular uh, personality over at Barstool. He's part of one of the most popular podcasts in the entire country, especially in sports, called Pardon My Take. So Jake is going to be with us here in about five minutes. Excited to talk with him. It's been now almost two years since I spoke with Jake Marsh. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting in touch with him again, talk a little Catamount Hoops. He was in the building on, uh, yeah, he was in the building on Saturday night for that win over Hartford, and that was a win, by the way. UVM wins at eighty-two to seventy-two. They're five and zero inside league play, thirteen and four overall. And this wasn't the perfect game. UVM actually blew a big lead in this one. They were up seventeen at the half, and Hartford came storming back to take a lead at one point in the second half. So this game was far closer than it needed to be, but this game really did present almost the completely ideal formula that we've been asking for all season from UVM. Like we've talked a lot this season about the formula for UVM to win games and UVM is starting to get really good at following it. Look at what happened on Saturday night. We have asked from the start of this season and we have said, if this team is going to reach its peak, their stars need to play like stars. And what did we get? Ben Shungu led the way with 24 points. Your sixth-year player leading the way with 24 points. That's what this team needed. Okay, This team needs Ben Shungu to be a star on just about every night if it's going to reach its full potential. On Saturday night, he was. 24 points leads the way. Ryan Davis is the reigning conference player of the year. They, too, need him to be a star. 
on most nights to reach their potential. He's second in scoring that night with 21 points. If they are going to win big games, if they are going to win close games, it's imperative that Shungu and Davis step up and they did check. When we look at our formula for UVM to win games, stars playing like stars is right at the top of the list. Big check, double check for both of them on Saturday night. And that, by the way, they were good really in every facet. They each hit three threes. They were each efficient. They were over 50% from the floor. The UVM got exactly what they needed out of Davis and Shungu. They've been blowing out so many teams in league play that those guys haven't had to carry the heavy lifting because they've sat a lot of the second halves. When they had to play a usual workload, you know, 30 to 35 minutes, they were right there. They led the way. They did everything. That's that's part one to the recipe that makes UVM tick. Davis and Shungu playing well. And Davis, like I said, a couple of threes. Sullivan back to Davis. Open left wing three. Kaboom! A big-time shot from a big-time player. The reigning conference player of the year gives the Catamounts the lead back. Yeah, that's Jake Marsh on that call who will be with us here momentarily. And then as part of the rest of the formula that we've asked for for this team, We've, we've just asked, number one, they need a third score. Who's it going to be? And can it be somebody consistently? And yes, uh, on Saturday night, it was Isaiah Powell, as it's been a lot of times this year. They are finding their footing. Shungu and Davis make the team tick. Powell contributes, gets double figures. That's a really solid recipe for this team. Outlet pass, Isaiah Powell. Right side, finger away, a good. Counted in the foul. Patrick Jim is on fire. Like through some of these blowouts, Aaron Deloney's been the third guy. Finn Sullivan's been the third guy. But when the rubber met the road Saturday night and the game got tight and the game got close and it was in the front of the big crowd and a big moment at home, it was Isaiah Powell who stepped up. He finishes with 16 points. Davis, Shungu, Powell. Stars play like stars. Third scorer steps up, and the third scorer on Saturday night was the guy you'd kind of expect the third scorer to be. Finn Sullivan can get double figures on any given night. Deloney can get double figures on any given night. Robin Duncan did it against UNH. So they got guys that can that can fill a double-figure scoring role. But who's going to do it consistently when it counts? It probably should be Isaiah Powell, and Saturday night it was. And then finally, as a bonus to the formula that we've called for, We've asked for, in addition to three guys getting double figures, we've asked for the bench to be productive. And the bench on Saturday night was productive. They scored 13 points as a bench. You'd probably like to see more. But Aaron Deloney gets eight and leads the way. So not only do you get three starters in double figures, you get a bench guy who gets eight. Check. We've asked for that. And that was huge because... On a day where Finn Sullivan didn't shoot well, and on a day where Justin Missoula didn't score very, I think he scored three points, on a day where you don't get all of the starters contributing, you get that bench guy, and he comes in with eight in Deloney, and now you've you've added more and more depth to your rotation and to your scoring rotation. Very, very important. And finally, what's the one thing I said? As this team got hotter and hotter from three, I said I don't want them to become three-point dependent because if you live by the three, and you'll die by the three. Well, UVM on Saturday night, they continue to go inside, and that's important. Take all the threes you want, but also get to the lane. 
get to the bucket and get to the foul line and check on Saturday night. Catamount 17 of 21 from the free throw line. So they got there, they made them, and you're going to get a lot of good shots by working inside out. Look, anybody can dribble the ball up the floor and just jack a three. Can you work the shot clock? Can you work the ball around? Can you get the ball inside, draw a double team, and kick it out to an open shooter? That's what we want to see UVM do, and that's what they've been doing. So while they continue to take a lot of threes, they took 21 free throws on Saturday night, and that is a perfect dichotomy. It shows that you are doing both things. If this team took 33s and seven free throws, I'd be furious at them because eventually that will come to bite you. But if you're going to hit take and make threes, also get to the line. And they did that on Saturday night. Defense was a little bit spotty in the second half. Hartford had a good offensive game plan in the second half, so the UVM faced some adversity. Hartford was only 3-10. Now, they had a bunch of guys out, I believe, with COVID and injuries that were just kind of coming back and getting into it. So the team we saw on Saturday night is closer you know, is uh, it's closer to what Hartford expected to be, but you know, I wouldn't, I would have thought, just looking at the records, UVM would have been able to sustain that big lead. They didn't. Hartford came back, and Ben Shungu said, "Hey, the adversity is good for us." Um, you know, there, it's going to be a fight every game, and um, you know, every game is, we're not going to, uh, you know, beat teams by twenty or thirty and whatnot. And so, um, we're going to get everybody's A game, and so. There might be adversity, and, you know, we just got to push through and stick together like we did tonight. Yep, so adversity ultimately could be good for this team. So, yeah, Benny's right. You can't blow at everybody. Catamounts 5-0 and inside league play, 13-4 and overall. We'll hear from Coach Brennan tomorrow. Remember, he's with us as part of the show every single Tuesday. we got another really good interview planned for tomorrow as well, so lots of good stuff on the Brady Farkas Show. Catamounts back at it on uh, Wednesday night on the road at Stony Brook. It is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. And on that note, I want to welcome in Jake Marsh, the former voice of the UVM Catamounts. Now, this past weekend, he made his return to Burlington and was the voice again on ESPN3 for that UVM 10-point win against Hartford. He's also part of the popular Barstool Sports podcast, Pardon My Take. You can check him out talking college hoops on, uh, on Barstool as well. Jake, what's up, man? It's been too long. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Brady. Always great to talk uh, Catamount Hoops, college basketball, and be back in Burlington for a little bit. So was that your first time back in Burlington since you left, What I guess, like two seasons ago? Yeah, March 2020 hit. It was uh, the day after the America East semifinals, UMBC. The lights went out. It was a crazy game. Um, and then I started to prep for the Hartford game, the 2020 America East Championship. And then everything unfolds very quickly, season tournament gets canceled so i leave go home to florida because i'm like i don't know what's happening here i feel like i can yeah. just go home um and then it was just crazy how quick everything happened and then i knew i always wanted to get back uh for a game and uh it felt good it felt good it felt like i never left <laughs> seeing all the familiar faces and the team as well team is rolling right now in league play. They had a scare on Saturday night. I mean, they were up big, 17 at the half. Hartford actually comes back and takes the lead, but UVM extends out at the end and wins by 10. What did you think of the team? I think the team looks tremendous. It's crazy because they're having just as much dominance now as they did in the Anthony Lamb and Trey <laughs> Bell Haynes era, right? Because 
Uh, obviously, they still have a conference player of the year in Ryan Davis, but Anthony Lamb is one of the greatest catamounts ever. And the fact that they're still rolling through all of these teams, all five wins in conference by double figures, it's tremendous. And that just shows what uh, how good of a coach Coach Becker is. He he brings in every every year just new talent. Obviously, the COVID year, he gets Ben Shungu back. Um, so, yeah, I, I know we say it every year, but why not this year for the year they make the tournament and go on a run? What do you think of Benny? It's been such an interesting career arc for him. He comes in as a walk-on, then he's red-shirting, then he finally gets a scholarship, then he's a defensive player of the year, and now he's an indispensable part of their offense, and he leads the way with 24 points. As someone who saw him really at close to the beginning – and then you see him on Saturday night leading the team in scoring. What do you think of Benny's progression? It's tremendous. And he's such an easy guy to root for, obviously being a local product from Rice Memorial High School in South Burlington. Uh, that automatically makes it a feel-good story. But I don't know. It's just like when I was there, Anthony Lamb was the focus. Steph Smith, Ernie Duncan were yeah. amazing as well. And Benny was just one of those role players. Now, him and Ryan Davis are the biggest – one-two punch in the America East and maybe even mid-major basketball and they wouldn't be undefeated in conference play without him. He had a buzzer beater against App State. Um, so there is no Vermont basketball being undefeated right now without this. How many games now do you call? You're so busy at Barstool. I mean, when, when I found out you were calling the game on Saturday, I was like, have I been missing this? Has Jake been calling games all along? And this, Or was this a special thing? No, it was a special thing to come up for one game uh, back in Burlington. So thanks to Nick Hall and the whole uh, athletic department for giving it the green light. Um, but I still like to do play-by-play on the side as a freelancer. Um, I called a Manhattan game. I called an Iota game, Rick Pitino. Um, <laughs> hopefully more opportunities come my way. It's still uh, my long-term goal and dream to uh, call games at the highest level. So we'll see former permanent UVM men's basketball broadcaster Jake Marsh with us. He was here special uh, special occasion on Saturday night for the Catamounts win against Hartford. Again, they won 82-72. to 72. He's also at Barstool. He's part of the uh, – you can find him on Twitter at PMT Sports Biz here. You have gotten famous here. You were signing autographs the other day on Jake Marsh memorabilia I saw on social media. Every young broadcaster wants to get famous. We all have egos to some degree. Did you ever picture yourself getting famous like this, though? I don't know if famous is the right word. I think uh, a following <laughs> in a certain demographic is more appropriate. Um, but no, it is crazy um, having people come up and ask for pictures post-game. But it's, it's really cool. And it just shows uh, how loyal the fan base is with Barstool and part of my take. And uh, everyone's just so nice. You know, they, they come up, they just want to talk about the podcast with you, talk about Big Cat and PFT. And it, it's a good time. I'm very fortunate. You know, it's it's interesting to me at least you were here for two years and certainly it's an influential two years in your life but you didn't go to uvm and you didn't grow up a fan of uvm why post uvm have you stayed so on top of what the catamounts are doing i see on social media you know you and john rothstein every time that they play you've you, you've probably helped make uvm as famous as the program itself over the last couple <laughs> of years so why why such the big association still I'll tell you what, it's one thing, it's an easy question, it's the personal relationships. In those two years, the relationships I made with Coach Becker, the relationship I made with the players, the coaches, the managers. I stayed at Ernie Duncan's apartment this weekend. <laughs> he and I have become very good friends. We're going to his wedding this summer. Wow. So that's why I've become such a fan of the program and root so hard for them. Now, 
I went to Syracuse, but I didn't hang out with Coach Beheim. I didn't uh, go to pregame meal with the players. Um, so that's what it is, you know. We spend so much time together on the road, always talking hoops, always rooting for them. I lived and died by every single basket my two seasons there, and uh, it's just cool that I can continue having these relationships uh, outside of my time there, even though it was only two years. I didn't go there, like you said, but those two years, I mean, I built relationships and friendships that I'll have for the rest of my life. It's really awesome. What was your fondest memory of those two years that you were here? I mean, I'm thinking back to I was pressing the buttons for a lot of the games that you did. There were a lot of wins. There were some tough losses in there, too. You were here for the Florida State NCAA tournament loss, right? But you yeah, were not here. Year. You were not here for the UMBC buzzer beater. That was the year before you got here. Correct. And I uh, I guess like you could say I'm fortunate I don't have that <laughs> memory because I didn't, I didn't like bring it up in front of the guys. But I will say my best memory is – that first year getting redemption in the championship game and smoking UMBC wire to wire they weren't losing to them back-to-back championship games at home they lost both regular season games too so getting that revenge and everyone storming the court uh going to the selection show party that that whole week and then the Hartford game which or the game in Hartford which was basically a home court advantage for a 13 seed which is unheard yeah. of that week was honestly one of the best weeks of my life it was so much fun and so cool to experience in addition to pardon my take you also host a college basketball podcast at barstool stool streams i think it's called right is that it uh, barstool bench mob stool barstool bench mob that's yeah, it. yeah you're involved in so many things my bad barstool <laughs> barstool bench mob so you're watching a lot of hoops where did how does uvm stack up especially to other low to mid majors yeah i mean i don't know if if you follow Kempom, but yeah. right now they're 76 which he tweeted out yes. a screenshot a few days ago four of the last five years or something like that they finished 76 and he said they're exactly where they are where they belong and what that means is if vermont can get in that ncaa tournament which obviously a one bid league there's a lot of pressure in march but if they can get in they'll be a 13 seed probably and facing off a four seed depending on the matchup they can win a game in the NCAA tournament. They can go on a run. Obviously, they're not on the level of other mid-majors like Gonzaga. Uh, the WCC has probably three or four teams uh, that can get in. Um, but Vermont, when I was there, they swept the Atlantic 10. Like, they're right there with the St. Bonaventures, the Davidsons. Uh, they beat George Mason, George Washington. So, honestly, I, I can't think of many mid-majors off the top of my head that have been better than this program. What do you think of the news that Hartford is leaving the conference because they're dropping all of Division One sports? And then, you know, it came out last week kind of under the table and now with a little more of, uh, you know, it's out there more. Stony Brook's leaving too. They're going to the CAA. So what do you think of uh, the America East in general losing two of its members that have been to the NCAA tournament in the last couple of years? No, it's interesting because specifically from a UVM perspective, those are two of the teams that have been kind of, a pain in Vermont's butt, right? Because yeah. uh, Hartford knocked out Vermont last season in the semifinals, which made this past weekend's game a little bit of a revenge game. And then Stony Brook, they beat UVM in the 2016 championship. Um, they were like the top two seeds pretty much the, the time I was there. Um, so I don't know what this means for the future of the conference. Obviously, they added NJIT. So if those two let leave, you're still at eight. Yep. I don't know if they bring in more. I don't know if other teams bolt and the America East does something else, I don't know. But for Vermont, Vermont specifically, um, I guess it's good for them in terms of their two biggest competitions uh, 
leaving. I don't know, though. I don't know about the future of the conference. Yeah, it's tough. Something that we're continuing to monitor, too. So uh, we had a nice talk about that last week. We're talking with Jake Marsh of Barstool Sports. And this past weekend, he was with ESPN3 calling the UVM basketball game against Hartford, a game Catamounts won by 10. They're unbeaten right now in the conference. Um, is it ever tough? I feel, and I might be wrong in this, like I have a perception of Barstool, and I like some of the stuff that Barstool does. So I have a perception of the people at Barstool, and it's one personality. But when you're calling games, and because I know you, I know how professional you are, how prepared you are, how buttoned up you are. Do you ever feel like you have to be two different people, or are you the same guy in both companies, both roles? I'm 100% the same guy, and I think that's what makes it work here for me, because if you're unfamiliar with Barstool, it is a sports media company, but at other sports media companies, all the talent are pretty much guys and girls who are coming from journalism school, right? They study journalism or media, here, that's not necessarily the case. So uh, for me, I'm the quote unquote big J journalist here <laughs> where I like to be polished up. I put on a suit when I'm on camera. Um, but I think that's ma- that makes me a little bit more unique where uh, a lot of the other personalities, there's nothing against them. It's just how the company operates. And I think what makes the company itself stick out against the ESPNs and all of that um, is how they kind of view it in the lens of a fan when I'm still trying to be the journalist self that I went to school for and everything. Well, very, very cool. Uh, I saw you hanging out at Handy's Lunch, I think, this weekend. You doing uh, hitting, hitting any other uh, Burlington hotspots when you came back? Uh, Handy's always great. I love Earl. He's a great guy. Everyone should check that out. Um, I actually didn't make it down to Church Street. It was a quick trip. Went to practice. That was good. Went to Shelburne's Half House for dinner. Yeah. And the Windjammer post game. I mean, that's that's the spot. We watched the, we watched the Packers uh, 49ers game after the UVM game. So that well, was if you're cool. hanging out with Ernie Duncan, I know you got to watch the Packers. Is any a Packers guy? Uh, no, he's a Raiders fan. Oh, you're man. thinking of Derek O'Grady, the uh, the director of operations. He's a huge Packers fan. And I don't remember if you were here for Cam Ward, but Cam Ward was a big Packers guy too. Yeah. So the former hey, sixth man of the one year. One team in green and gold, one on Saturday, right? Yeah, for sure. So UVM unbeaten now inside America East play. Jake Marsh, the former Catamount radio broadcaster. I pushed a lot of buttons for his broadcast back in the day. So, Jake, man, congratulations uh, on all the success that you've had. Best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Hopefully the uh, Catamounts are dancing come March, and we'll get your perspective on them from a national uh, side of things here in a couple months. Awesome, Brady. Thank you for having me. Uh, go Cats, and looking forward to see how the rest of the season unfolds. Yeah, me too, buddy. Me too. Wednesday night against Stony Brook. Stony Brook unbeaten this past week, too. Remember, Catamounts rolled them by 30. 33 the last time they played but this time it's at their place on Wednesday so that was Jake Marsh former Catamount Hoops broadcaster seriously a guy who Jake is less than 25 years old I think maybe just turned 25 or so but uh I got I I was producing a lot of the UVM games even back at you know at my previous station where the games were on you know I was an afternoon host and I was um you know, in some kind of management role there, I was still pressing a lot of the buttons on those UVM hoop games. So I listened to like every game that Jake called almost for those two seasons. And it was, you know, he was, he was great on the broadcast and he was awesome on, on Saturday night on ESPN three. And, um, and I'm not saying he's better or worse than he was then, but I just felt like he was better because maybe cause I hadn't heard him in two years, but uh, he was awesome. It was great to see him back there on ESPN3. A couple of texts on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. This one's from Jake in South Burlington, ironically enough. He says, I love Jake. I love PMT, uh, Sports Biz. I love Barstool. I love Pardon My Take. Glad he came on the show. I am glad, too. Yeah, Jake and I worked very closely 
for those uh, for those two years. And I love part of my take also. I I have said my piece about Barstool before. I don't love everything that they do. I really don't necessarily care for the higher ups at Barstool. You know, Dave Portnoy, the El, El Prez. I mean, but part of my take is right at the top of a sports podcast list. I mean, those guys are awesome. I feel like they generally stay above board and some of the sophomoric stuff that uh, that rubs me the wrong way about Barstool. They don't really participate in. Therefore, Jake doesn't really have to participate in it. So uh, Jake's certainly welcome to come on here anytime. We, uh, I got, had Big Cat from Pardon My Take on my previous show before. He was awesome. And PFT I met in the Minneapolis airport. So if you're not familiar... Big Cat and PFT are the two are the two hosts. Those are the nicknames that they go by. Big Cat we had on our on my old show in Burlington, and then PFT I saw at the Minneapolis airport. I left Minneapolis after the Super Bowl on Saturday morning at like maybe like six thirty in the morning Central Time. So I had to get to the airport at like five at the at that point. It was before COVID, so the screening time wasn't wasn't as long. But the, yeah, I saw PFT in the airport. It was right in front of him at the uh, TSA security line there where you handed your license and everything. So he was right in front of me there. So we had, we had a kind of semi-very awkward conversation, actually, for a couple of minutes. It was more awkward on my end as I fumbled through all of my words. Uh, Lewis and Williston. Brady, did you really just say that Jake has done as much for the program in the last two years as the team itself has? You know, as I was saying that, it kind of felt like a hyperbole, right? It kind of felt like an exaggeration. But as I'm a few minutes removed from it, and I think about it now with Jake not on the air with me, it, it's probably not hyperbole. Jake and Barstool and what he has done over the last two years has probably made just as big, if not bigger, of an impact as the team on the floor. Think about this. 2020... The season ends. UVM, there is no NCAA tournament. So UVM doesn't get to play in an NCAA tournament. That's the kind of thing that could have given them a, a continued on a national footing. They didn't have that chance. Last year, it's a COVID season. They play only conference games. They did not play any games outside of conference. And as I recall, they didn't play any games outside of conference. Let's just, Guys, can we verify that? I mean, but nonetheless... UVM did not go to the NCAA tournament last year. They did not go to the, um, they did not go to an NIT. So I mean, they weren't out there nationally as much last season. So, yeah, it was only conference games last year for UVM. So yeah, there was no, they don't get NIT. They don't play. Yeah, that's just, I, I, I think it's fair. After every game, Jake, who has 160,000 Twitter followers, he tweets out something about Vermont. John Rothstein of CBS responds back, who has 270,000 Twitter followers. So you have two prominent social media followings talking about Vermont constantly. The team isn't on national television a lot. They weren't in the NCAA tournament. I think it's perfectly fair to say now that, that Jake's influence on this program is real and at least keeping it out there nationally in is in part because of what he's doing. I, I it felt like a hyperbole at the time. I don't think that it is now. It's Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We come back. Who's saying what? Boomer Esiason says Josh McDaniels needs to take this NFL coaching job if it gets offered to him. I'll just give you my thoughts. That's next on DEV.
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at ProDriverCDL.com. So again, ProDriverCDL.com. They've got facilities up in Enosburg and in Milton. So if you're looking for the next step in your career and you want to explore the truck driver trade, then certainly a great spot for you to go. Class A uh, CDL, Class B CDL, Passenger and Advanced Skills Training as well. Full show podcast always up after the show as well. Our interview with Jake Marsh, the staff has already put online on our podcast channel. Just subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Take it with you. Listen on demand whenever you want. That is one of the biggest ways to help our show continue to grow. So thank you to everybody who does. All right, let's get to it. Who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, which is central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month for a free car wash. The listeners just need to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So you want the $20 a month package, unlimited car washes. You want the one free one? Just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. This one comes from former NFL quarterback Boomer Esiason, who played with the Bengals and the Jets, at least, you know, most prominently for me and quarterback at the uh, University of Maryland. He was on WEEI in Boston earlier this morning talking about Josh McDaniels being linked to the Las Vegas Raiders job opening. You know what? If the money was there, and yeah, hell yeah, I would. I mean, I got Derek Carr, and at least you have a, a quarterback right now that can still play and still play at a high level. He's not one of the premium guys. Um, but if that is a, an opportunity for Josh and they're going to give him total control, which I think whoever goes there is going to have a very good shot at doing that, um, and you, you do have a playoff team sitting there, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how you say no. So, Asias, and by the way, Boomer also played for the Raiders. Or, I'm sorry, for the, uh, I'm thinking about the Raiders. He also played for the Cardinals. He was there for one season in 96. So, okay. I don't remember Boomer Esiason with the Arizona Cardinals in 1996. I had to go back and look at the numbers there and see exactly kind of, I mean, well, here we go. 1996 Arizona Cardinals played 10 games, so played a prominent role, threw for more than 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, 14 picks, so not a particularly successful season, but he, he played more than I was expecting. I did not remember Boomer Esiason, lefty, with uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. So there you go. Anyways, he thinks Josh McDaniels should take the Raiders' job and if it's offered to him. And as of now, the Raiders have not put into interview McDaniels, but he has been linked to the job. I mean, so there's, there's some reported interest, but an official interview hasn't happened. And to last we heard, an official um, request to, for an interview hasn't happened. But nonetheless... This goes back to what I was saying a few weeks ago. If Josh McDaniels gets offered a head coaching job, 
I feel like he's got to take it. He has no choice. You can only say no so many times before people stop asking entirely. You can only say no so many times before you're no longer thought of. You're an afterthought. And I feel like Josh McDaniels, if the Raiders offer him a job, I feel like he is staring down the barrel of pretty much his last chance. He may not be out of lives yet, but he's getting awfully close. You burn the Colts. You you were bad in Denver. You burned the Colts. You didn't get the Browns job. You didn't get the Panthers job. You didn't get the Eagles job. You've pulled out of some jobs. You've said no to some things. You can only do that so many times. If the Raiders want to interview you and you say yes, and then you go through the process, you better be prepared to actually say yes if offered. There's just not that many chances waiting for you. And that's just how I feel. If Josh McDaniels doesn't really want the Raiders job, then he certainly should not take the interview. Because if it gets offered, he's got to take it. And look, I don't think the Raiders are a particularly great job right now, by the way. I mean, I know they went to the playoffs, but I'd rather have the Bears job or the Jaguars job. I mean, Derek Carr is getting older. He's on the other side of 30 now. You don't know how committed the organization is to him. So do you get Derek Carr or do you get a team that's moved off of Derek Carr eventually and is starting over soon into your tenure? The Davis family is, you know, has volatility to them as an ownership group. And you have Mahomes and Herbert in your division and a, a mild chance that the Broncos trade for Aaron Rodgers and he comes into your division. I don't think the Raiders is that great a job. And if Josh McDaniels gets another job offer. I mean, you don't get three cracks at this thing, so you got to make number two work. And it's the Raiders will be a hard situation to make work. It's not a job that I would want, frankly. But again, if he actually interviews for it and they actually want to give it to him, then he can't just bail or he'll never get another shot. And, I mean, getting beaten out, that would be one thing. If he gets beat out, that's one thing. But if he gets offered the job... He needs to be committed to taking the job. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Uh, what are the coaching openings ranked in your mind from best to worst? Uh, that comes from Dylan in Montpelier. Um, well, I said a couple weeks ago, I think the Bears are the number one job. I think the Bears are the number one job. Aaron Rodgers might leave the division. And if he doesn't leave the division, the Packers are in cap hell and Aaron Rodgers is getting older. He's still awesome. But they're in cap hell. He's getting older. You may lose Devontae Adams. So the Packers, they have the chance to go down next year. Lions, they play hard. They're not ready to come and take a division yet. And then the Vikings, with Kirk Cousins, I think they're always going to be anywhere between slightly below to slightly above average, but I don't think that they're unbeatable. So you have a division that's winnable. You're playing what amount? You're playing a third-place schedule next year. So you have a chance for an immediate kind of success. And you have Justin Fields. And that's the guy that I wanted for the Patriots. So I think the Bears are number one. I think the Jaguars are number two. They have projected to be the second or third most cap space. They, too, are in what I would deem to be a winnable division. Do you trust Ryan Tannehill? Do you trust Carson Wentz? And the Texans are a clown show. So AFC South is winnable. You get $70 million in projected cap space. You've got the number one pick in the draft next year, and you've got the reigning number one pick 
in Trevor Lawrence, who everybody still believes is excellent. So I think the Jaguars, from an upside standpoint, project to be number two. Denver's probably number three. Their roster, I would say, is closer than the Raiders. Denver is a really good quarterback away from being a viable contender. I still wouldn't want to be with Mahomes and with Herbert, but Denver's got excellent wide receivers, good enough running game. Uh, They've got a a well-schooled defense. I was listening to... uh, Somebody today on my way in, I can't even remember who it was, but they were talking about how great Denver could be if Aaron Rodgers goes there. So I would say Denver is three quarterback situations up in the air. That's obviously huge, but Denver's three. Minnesota, I'd say, is four. Kirk Cousins is going into the last year of his deal. You don't know what's going to happen with him, but you've got an electric playmaker in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, and we're good running back in Dalvin Cook. You also have a winnable division, so Minnesota, I'll say, is four. Miami, I'd say, is five. Quarterback situation there is up in the air, but you have a good defense, a team that had a winning record, so it's not a total dumpster fire. Raiders, six. Houston, seven. Giants, eight. That's kind of where I would go. Giants, I think, are the worst job. Daniel Jones is totally up in the air. Saquon Barkley is totally up in the air. Your offensive line is still in shambles. Patrick Graham, uh, Patrick Graham, your regarded defensive coordinator, he might be poached by another team, you may lose him. The Giants are a mess. So, yeah, I got the Houston Texans right now better than the Giants. And then uh, Kelly in Westminster, what are you hearing about Gerard Mayo's chances of getting a job? Gerard Mayo's the former Patriot defender who's now in the Pats defensive coaching staff. The only thing I know right now is that he is reportedly not a finalist for the Broncos job. That that's he was interviewing for the Raiders. He was interviewing for the Broncos, but he's not a finalist for that Broncos um, job. Here's what we knew. This was from last week. This one came on Friday. Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, kind of what he was hearing about Mayo. Uh, you know, I would say his it sounded like it went really well. Um, he also has a request from the Raiders. Um, so I would expect him to interview there. I mean, he is, you know, you guys know this, like he is really, really impressive. Uh, now, he's, you know, young, and I think as far as experience goes, there are definitely candidates with more experience. Um, now, part of the reason he didn't get a ton of experience is because he was literally playing, so it's not like that's something that you can hold against him. Yeah, so that's what Rappaport said. Sounds like the interview with Denver went well, but he's not expected now we know to be a finalist. But that's kind of where we're at. On, on Mayo. Engaging personality, smart, has the playing background, has worked in Foxborough, has worked in a tough system before. So I, I would say, you know, all these things are good. I would say all these things are good on Mayo. Don't know if it leads to a job right now, but uh, there's some real good potential in Gerard Mayo. So it's Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. But yeah, Boomer thinks McDaniel should take it. I, I do too. If the job gets offered, I feel like he's got to take it. There is just no – there's there's nowhere else to turn for Josh McDaniels. If he turns this down, you're just waiting for the Patriots job, and that's it, I feel like. You're not going to get eight more chances. At some point, you're not the hot candidate anymore. At some point, you just dry up. And I think that's McDaniels. McDaniels is fewer than 45 years old. He's certainly not old. But everybody is looking for the next Sean McVay. They are going to look there first. 
Where can we find the 35-year-old who's innovative? Where can we find the guy who's been on Andy Reid's staff? Where can we find the guy who's been on McVay's staff? Where's the Kyle Shanahan disciple who's 36? That's what people are looking for. And the further removed McDaniels gets from being that guy, the less chances he's going to get. So if he gets the Raiders offer, I'm with Boomer. I think that he's got to take it. It's the Pretty Farkas Show on DEV. I told you earlier in the show that if you're a Patriots fan and you watched last night's AFC game between the Bills and Chiefs, you should be worried. Well, last night's game between the Bills and Chiefs also proved something that I've been saying all year long. I'll tell you what that is next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up here in about 10 minutes here on the stations of Radio Vermont. Last night was the perfect representation of everything that I have been telling you all about Mac Jones all season. What you saw last night was the perfect representation of everything I've said all year about Mac Jones. The Patriots with Mac Jones will never be what we saw on the field yesterday, and that is a problem. Mac Jones is not special. Mac Jones is good. I like him. He works hard. He does the right thing. He makes a lot of good plays. He's certainly serviceable. If he played in Washington, we'd be saying he was an upgrade. If he played for the Giants, we'd be saying he was an upgrade. But he plays for the Patriots, and he plays in the AFC, and he plays in an AFC where the top teams in the conference look like what we saw last night. And the Patriots with him just don't. And they just won't. Mac Jones is not special. And you saw what special looked like last night. Again, I don't hate Mac Jones. I believe 100% in my soul, and I have told you this many times, while Mac Jones is on his rookie deal, the Patriots can win. While Mac Jones is on his rookie deal, I believe the Patriots can win a Super Bowl. But boy, oh boy, is a lot going to have to go right for that to happen. They have to have the right schedule. They've got to catch teams on their off days. They've got to catch a team who's got their best player injured. They've got to, they've got to remain completely healthy. Their hard games have to be at home. The Patriots can win with Mac Jones, but every little thing has to go right. You saw last night a matchup of quarterbacks that are special. That's what special looks like. The Patriots don't have it what I've been telling you all year. Patrick Mahomes runs for 69 yards. The Bills' number one defense is shutting things down early. Patrick Mahomes takes off for the entirety of the first half and is just running all over the field. Mac Jones can't do that. The Bills need positive plays late in the game, fourth quarter, trying to come back. Josh Allen runs for a first down up the middle for seven, eight yards. He takes design quarterback draws. He runs quarterback sweeps to the right. On fourth and four, he evades a sacker, 
looks downfield, holds the defense with his eyes, and runs for a first down that keeps the game going for Buffalo. Mac Jones can't do that. Mac Jones can't do that stuff. There's not He doesn't have the clubs in his bag that you saw last night that Mahomes and Allen have. Does anybody disagree with me? 802-585-3026. I don't know how you come out of this weekend of football and feel better about the Patriots' chances. I feel worse. Everything's got to go right for this team. If they are in a conference with those two quarterbacks and then Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, who we think might be close to those quarterbacks, what is there to feel great about for the Patriots? When you ask, everybody last week made fun of me when I said I would trade Mac Jones and a couple of draft picks for Russell Wilson. Last night is why. Russell Wilson is not as good as he used to be. Russell Wilson is getting older. I totally get it. Russell Wilson still has elements of special, and Mac Jones doesn't. Now, I I don't want to turn this into Mac Jones sucks. He doesn't. He is fine. And the Patriots will win games with him. But I want to win the Super Bowl. I went to three consecutive Patriots Super Bowls. I went to, in Houston, Super Bowl week before they played Atlanta. Minneapolis, Super Bowl week before they played the Eagles. And Atlanta, Super Bowl week before they played the Rams. I want to go back. I want the team to go back. And they're not getting there easily or often with Mac Jones. Last night, those are guys you pay $45 million a year to. Those are guys you roll with for a decade plus. Mac Jones isn't that guy. And I strongly fear he's never going to get to that guy. As I told you last week, Mac Jones is not going to get exponentially faster. Mac Jones is not going to get an exponentially better arm. So the only so the thing that Mac Jones has going for him is good reaction and good processing time. He's already good at that. So I mean like how much smarter is he really going to get? He'll get smarter. But if he's already in A minus, fine, he'll go to an A plus. Is that the difference between Mac Jones looking like Patrick Mahomes and not? I would say no. Mac Jones is good. The Patriots are good. Last night, what you saw was great. And if you're sitting here today wondering where do the Patriots stand in the AFC, the answer is they are further away than I thought. They've got a lot of work to do, and they've got a long offseason now ahead of them to do it, but I fear they're not going to be able to make up the ground that they need to make up because what we saw last night is significantly ahead of them. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Go find the podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Jazz with George Thomas is next. I'll see you tomorrow on DEV.